Welcome back. You are listening to the 26th episode of Making It Women Film, a podcast where we sit down with women working across the film and TV industry to talk about their journey, experiences, advice, and the importance of diversity in front and behind the camera. I'm your host, Evita. Unfortunately, I could not make this episode, so Shania is hosting this one solo. And she was joined by the scientific researcher Ipek Ansari and filmmaker Camille Hallet French, who are the makers of Endomic, a film about endometriosis. So let's just get into it. Do you want to start off by telling us a little about yourselves? Yeah, um, I'm Camille Hallett French. I'm an actor and filmmaker uh, from Montreal and Toronto, and I live in Vancouver right now. And uh, I like to make movies. <laughs> um, hi, my name is Deepak. I'm a research scientist at Columbia University in New York City. Um, and apparently, I also like to make. <laughs> as I discovered. Yeah, I, I study, I mostly study women's health. Um, I use a variety of um, machine learning techniques or my, I should say my research focused on using a variety of machine learning techniques to devise personalized um, disease self-management um, approaches for a variety of chronic conditions. Amazing. And before we get onto your film, can you tell me how you guys both met? Yeah, so we met through this filmmaking competition at a film festival in New York City. It's called Imagine Science Film Festival. And the competition is called the Symbiosis Filmmaking Competition. Uh, we did it in the 13th year because of the pandemic. It was the first year that they went worldwide. So they chose six filmmakers and six scientists worldwide to make a film in eight days. And, uh, and yeah, we did it all entirely over Zoom. And even now, like EPAC and I have not met <laughs> in person ever so um yeah we made this entire film over zoom we met on the thursday night and that's when you can start brainstorming and such and then by the following what was dpec so eight days so the yeah. following saturday friday we had to submit it friday. and so it was a lot of like online communication obviously <laughs> but it's crazy like at one point i i had probably 27 windows open and you know it was like so I should have had two computers so I could be like typing with my left hand and typing with my right hand <laughs> but um yeah that's how we met at this uh filmmaking competition and I was there because my film before and don't make it's called Freya it's a sci-fi-esque dystopian film about uh what happens when our bodily autonomy is slowly taken away by the government <laughs> And um, that screened at Imagine Science. So that's how I learned about the festival. And, and EPAC has a, a different story. So I found out about symbiosis through our um, school's newsletter um, for, for trainees and, and researchers. So when I read the description, um, you know, it says that they match six scientists with um, six science uh, filmmakers to make a science-inspired film. Um, I thought this is great. It was more like a spur of the moment thing. I was like, this is great. Like, this is my calling, but I have no background in filmmaking. So I don't know what made me think, you know, this was a great idea. Um, it has to be a great idea, but it was just this like 
you know, I, I need to do it. It was like a gut instinct. Um, and then when I interviewed with Alexi Gamba, who's the founder and the director of the festival, you know, he was asking me all these questions. Have you ever made a film before? I'm like, no. Do you know anything about animation? Because there's a lot of focus on animation um, in that within the scope of that competition. I was like, no, but I like animation, you know, like I'm not against it. Um, so and I, at the end of the interview, I remember thinking, oh God, like I'm, like, I'm not, I know nothing. Um, you know, it's, I'm not, I'm not qualified. But I, what he asked was at the end, well, so then why do you want to be, you know, what is your, why do you want to be a part of it? And I said, well, first of all, I think life must go on. And I think it's great that um, unlike many other events, festivals who are canceling, um, you guys are, you know, going on with this, moving along with this and making it work and even taking advantage of the pandemic and opening it up to, you know, filmmakers and scientists outside of New York. Um, so I think this is, I, so I, I support that idea and I want to be a part of it. And the other thing I said was, I see it as a great, as a great challenge. You know, it's not so much so a barrier, a rate limiting step, but rather a challenge that can bear really creative ideas and solutions. Um, yeah. <laughs> what you were saying is like really cool about um, like great ideas and innovation, because I think this opportunity you know, we've talked a lot about how similarly we think and our like sense of humor and stuff like that. And so it was really a great opportunity for us to just finally like show the world like a piece of what goes on inside of our heads. But it's even more special, I think, because it's like, like the two of us coming together with this specific ratio made it even more, you know, unique, I suppose, because it was you and I and yeah there was like we we did some we got to do like some of the weird stuff that we wanted to do which is fun so it's a sneak peek into how inside our brains work and do humor I guess that's like a, yeah just how we see the world um with respect to endometriosis and then the fact that we got matched like we both came into this competition wanting to make a you know dark sarcastic film about endometriosis what is the chance of that happening you know you have these two individuals you know going into a sample of 12 people and they both want to make um an endometriosis related film which is not even a disease that's even talked about that often in other settings let alone a film competition you know um so yeah <laughs> yeah i didn't even know the con what the condition was until literally a couple days ago mm -hmm. i seen Halsey do interviews on it and that's how I know what it is um so for people who are listening and have no idea what the condition is can you explain to us what it is so endometriosis is a chronic health condition it's where the lining the tissue that's similar to the lining of your uterus the endometrium grows outside of your uterus and on other organs and what that does is it can cause lesions that cause different organs to say stick together as an example. Um, and also cysts that are called endometriomas or as if they, you know, the condition hasn't ruined our lives enough, chocolate cysts. So um, that's always fun and has ruined chocolate for me to an extent. And yeah, it's a, it's, it can be a debilitating condition. It can also be something that people don't even know about until doctors try to um, get to the bottom of fertility issues and then they realize that somebody has endometriosis so it's very pain related fatigue related or or not and and that's 
you know, that's just the tip of the iceberg of how mysterious endometriosis is. And <laughs> we, okay, the condition being mysterious and elusive and a riddle wrapped in an enigma, et cetera, et cetera. Like we can never say those things anymore without putting quotes around them <laughs> because from very early on, you know, that's one of the things that EPEC and I really like commiserated over together is just how ridiculous this is that this happens in one in 10 menstruating people across the, like around the world. And that's about 200 million people worldwide. And like, you know, you're, you're a woman, Shania, and you, you just learned about it, but you're not, but that's not, and it's not like a knock on you. It's just, that's the reality of it. So few people know about it. I ended up in the ER once and a female nurse who was probably like in her mid to late thirties was like, wait, endometriosis, what is that? And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> like, how am I supposed to, um, so yeah. That's, it's, um, so one of the aspects from, from a clinical etiology perspective, the reason it makes it serious, but it, although it shouldn't be, is that there's a lot of variability across patients as to how it manifests itself due to a variety of reasons, not all of which we know, but one of the reasons is it depends on where this tissue ends up growing and where the, therefore where the cysts and the lesions end up forming and um, result, um, getting created. So that, that also creates a lot of confusion um, with, from the clinician's perspective. So it's, that makes it more difficult to diagnose. Um, for example, it can be masked by IBS-like symptoms. So it's, it's very common that endometriosis patients get referred to gastroenterologists um, with a suspected diagnosis of, oh, you have some you know, gastrointestinal issues. Um, of course, there is always the stereotypical, oh, it's just menstrual pain sort of thing. Um, you know, like that's, that also feeds into it, which you know, all of which um, lead to a delay in diagnosis that's about seven to 10 years, depending on what study you look at, which, which obviously not only is it, now that causes a lot of um, loss of productivity, you know, and you can, you can imagine like for the patient how, how burdensome that is, but also from a public health, national healthcare cost perspective, that's very costly. You know, when you could consider how much money is being spent from you know the insurance companies, the resources, time spent um, from in the medical settings, we should do like a um, a march and like put endo warriors, all of them in like giant dollar sign costumes, and be like, "Don't you care now?" <laughs> Maybe that'll work finally. <laughs> and then, when did you both hear like hear of this condition and? Why was it important for you guys to explore it through filmmaking? So as a researcher, I've been interested in women's health. Um, I, I started studying um, or yeah, studying endometriosis as a disease model in my research in 2017-18. Um, but before then, um, I used to study multiple sclerosis with there's overlap in um, symptom clusters and how it fluctuates over time, et cetera. But I was specifically interested in um, how symptoms occur in, in women with multiple sclerosis and, and some of the ways that we can do. So some of that really translates really nicely to endometriosis disease model. But how I got into it is my, um, I work at a lab where the director herself, Naomi Eladad, has endometriosis and she developed, she has a project or an initiative called um, Citizen Endo, which aims to better document better understand endometriosis 
um, using a citizen science approach. So she developed an app called Fendo, which is it's a research tracking app. You know, the participants when you download the app from um, iTunes or also for, for the Android um, app store, you sign an informed consent saying I, I'll be as I track this is data, these are data that I contribute to, you know, um, the citizen and the project. So I started working on that project with her and the rest of the team. And we have been, um, that's how we do a lot of our research. So it's all data that the participants contribute. Um, so that was my introduction. I, it's um, because of these mysteries as a scientist, you know, you, you get drawn to these things. Oh, like here are questions, like unanswered questions, you know, mystery, enigma, what can I do for it? So that, that was kind of how I got involved. I um, I first heard about endometriosis when I was 18 and I had ended up in the ER because I passed out from pain and like hit my face on the ground and was like writhing on the ground and my stepdad was like can I help you somehow <laughs> and I was like I need help um, so they I ended up in the hospital because I never like I was like what's going on here like I don't know what's happening and I ended up in the hospital, um, got there in an ambulance and they were finally, my mom had gotten there at some point and then they had finally discharged me. And when they were the ER doctor, and this was like with no answers, this was like, oh, here, take some pain meds. Oh, you're not dying. Okay. Get out. Like we need the, we need the bed. Um, and this ER doctor was like, so do you have anyone special in your life? And I was like, um, yeah, I have like my boyfriend at school. And she was like, oh, okay. Have you thought of having a baby? Because this sounds like endometriosis and having a baby makes it go away. And she said that to me, like in front of my mom. And I was 18 in, I think the 11th grade. And she knew that. And it was like, that was the beginning of like, oh, so this is what it's going to be like, uh, so that was uh, when I was 18. And then it wasn't until I, I guess I was 25 where I started hearing about it again uh, because, you know, I was having more and more issues and just like random stuff. And like, it's not always about pain. Like it's the thing for me that was really hard was like pain. Um, it was, it was like pain, not during my period. It was like, I'd be walking down the street and I would sneeze and like keel over <laughs> in pain, you know? And like, like pain during sex or the big one that happened for me was spotting all the time. And for our listeners who don't know what that means, that's random vaginal bleeding. <laughs> and so that was like constant. And so by the time I was 25, um, I started hearing about it again. And it wasn't until this one random doctor who uh, from this clinic at Queen and Spadina in Toronto and listeners in Toronto will know the, um, the doctors, the walk-in clinic across from the McDonald's at Queen and Spadina. Um, yeah. She was like one of the first doctors who was like, who actually listened to me and went, okay, this sounds like endometriosis. I'm going to send you to a specialist. And, but it's funny because they ended up with a specialist. I think I told EPEC, I think I told you this story recently, but I ended up at the specialist and it was this, this guy and he, you know, he comes in with his white coat and he's like, so what brings you here today, miss? And I was like, well, I think I have endometriosis. And he goes, okay, uh, just, yeah, uh, I'll just hold, hold, hold up there for a second. So tell me why you think you have endometriosis. And, you know, I told him all the, all the symptoms and he was like, 
okay, here's a gown. Please put this on. I'll, I'll leave the room. I'll be back. He comes in. He does a digital vaginal uh, exam and is like pushing and hurting and making me like cringe for like 10 minutes. And then he's like, okay, please get dressed. And he comes back in and I'm like sitting there and he, I, I swear to God, I remember it like this. I'm pretty sure that he put his chin on both of his hands on his desk <laughs> and was like, now, I think you may have endometriosis. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, thanks tips. I just told you that. Um, and so that was like the beginning of my journey to, to see like, you know, more and more specialists. And so that was probably about the time I was like 26 or 27 maybe, or maybe even later. So yeah, that fit into the about, you know, about 10 years. What is it, EPAC? Seven, seven to 10 years on average? That's crazy. I remember being in school and so many, now like learning about it, so many girls were off school or, you know, had to sit out from certain classes because their period pains were so bad. I remember people like making fun of them. And I like now knowing what this is, they probably had that, not gonna lie. Right. So I think this is an amazing film, like, and especially bringing you know, awareness to this condition. It's you know, very important. I think, I think when you speak about, you know, period pains or things like this, a lot of men, they're like, they don't understand at all. They, you know, they have no idea what we're talking about. Did that cross your mind when you were making this film? Like, how are we going to explain it to the people who have no idea what's going on? One of the taglines we had for this, we were just like throwing around, but um, or like, what is the purpose of this film? You know, we have um, a, a bunch of a list of them. One of them is helping your boyfriend understand endometriosis. So, we're, I mean, obviously, it's a, um, it's, it's a little bit of a, um, you know, hopefully it doesn't come to that. Like, hopefully, you know, people's partners are able to understand with without a film. Um, but, but that's definitely something that we have discussed and we have um, joked, in, you know, in the past in a, like a dark humorous way I guess you know like angry joking <laughs> kidding um, not kidding <laughs> like can you believe this happened haha <laughs> but I'm really mad um so it's really a thing. now I will say though um I to their credit the, the younger generation of physicians are a lot better trained um you know they're they're more informed they're they have better training um, so they do, um, let's not just like all the physicians, you know, all, all or old males, I'm sorry, or, or you know, whatever, not, not uterus only individuals, um, no, not to this, all of them. So it, there might be a little bit of a generational thing that's happening. Um, and I, I say that also because as we were, as I was doing more literature search or, and looking, going into the history of the literature on endometriosis for this film, what we saw more and more is, um, is how it's, also stigmatized in the scientific literature. Um, I, don't, I don't know how that's considered scientific, but, but all these physicians making these conclusive remarks about what endometriosis is or what it is, or all women have it, you know, there's no such thing as that. So if, if this is a type of information that, you know, that they were fed, whether it's intentional or unintentional, whether they have any sort of um, deliberate, like malicious or, you know, intent or not, it's, of course, they're going to think, oh, it's just period pain. You know, of course, like, of course, understanding that kind of, um, so it's called experiential blindness, where if you don't have 
an experience of that kind yourself, you'll have a hard time understanding. Um, so that's what I, I think had been happening, but I, hopefully that's getting better. And like, if you think of it from the perspective of, from, you know, the medical and research fields, no, no one was saying this is a problem like they do with the funding, you know, to fund conditions like diabetes or like other um, really terrible conditions, not to say that, that they don't deserve that, but they had really, they have very big marketing teams behind them, you know? And so if, if the fields that, that we're meant to trust aren't telling the public that this is a problem, when a person, when somebody with endometriosis is like, um, I'm having some issues over here, it's harder to believe them because people are like, what are you talking about? How have I never heard of this if it's so bad, you know? And, and those sorts of um, like insidious thoughts and, and mentalities around care for endometriosis patients. And so the problem is, is bigger than just like one simple answer as to why it's not being addressed properly. And that's what, you know, this is just our like, this is, is just our getting the foot in, getting our foot in the door about this uh, with the short film, because you can only do so much in a short film, especially when it comes to science and research and information. But uh, we tried our best to give what like the Coles notes version are of this condition while still making, you know, complete film from start to finish. And yeah, hopefully piquing people's interests and making those people want to give us lots of money to make more. Anyone out there? Anyone listening? Yeah, I think, Can you email um, me? <laughs> from the research world's um, perspective, Bristol, I would say, past the first initial step that Camille was referring to, which is, hey, this is a problem. Like, I think we just barely now convinced, you know, a, a, like a large-ish enough um, segment of the funding people, you know, decision makers on what research gets funded and what doesn't. Um, and then, you know, so, um, different segments of society, that's just a problem. Like that, that's where we are at. And, and compare it to other conditions, for example, diabetes as um, going off of, most command like how long have you been like it's not nobody would ever question like diabetes that's an issue really like of course it's so common you know so so um we, we still have ways to go um but we're we're scratching the surface we're making progress in the right direction it's just it's, it's very slow and we're hoping that maybe with the spell what we will expedite that a little bit yeah and also like when when you have these long-standing chronic conditions and long-standing in the world it's like you can't go at it the regular way, whatever that is, is that you need innovation and you need innovative thinking, which I think is really cool about Citizen Endo and the app Fendo that EPAC works on. Like it's so cool. It's an app that where endo patients can go on and track their progress. And then they take that information and use it to better address endo issues. And you have about 12,000 participants worldwide right and it's like a research project but it's this app and it's like it's very cool so I think it's innovative thinking like that that we need and non-stop so innovators from everywhere I think and I think you're a little bit ahead um you always get hit by roadblocks because it takes a while for the rest of the people to understand and, and catch up to it so we're um I always you know tell 
uh, share with Camille some of the reviewer comments we get on papers and you know research or grant proposals that we submit. And like one of the roadblocks is always why are it's it's unclear why the investigators are sending endometriosis. And it's it turns into this whole like paragraph long vent by, by them. I don't know why. Like they could just say I don't understand. But no, it goes into why not study migraines? Why not back pain? Why not cancer pain? And like you don't have to be a researcher to have the common sense to realize it's such a bad idea to lump all of these pain conditions into one research. Like it just, it makes absolutely no sense. However you look at it. Um, so it's, and you know, I speak to the senior faculty in our department to get advice on, you know, how can I, because there's only so many years you can, you know, spend your life trying to convince people and get funding for research. And finally someone today said, so in my, um, as a background, I use um, reinforcement learning, which is a type of artificial intelligence-based modeling. Um, so it's, it's so she said, Ipek, you're, the, the, this um, agency is, so it's NIH. It's, I think our equivalent of NHS, I, maybe. is it Does NHS do grant funding for research? Shania, do you know? No, but anyhow, so I, she basically said there, the, the, that I, the institute is still, they still don't know what that is. So of course, like they, it's not that they're against it, they just understand right. um, so I think I guess like this all is to say I, there's hope eventually we'll get there but it's the, we, we need to fight you know um, we need to not lose hope in our fight and, so. exactly yeah. and in this film you conduct zoom interviews how hard was it to get people to come on and talk about their experience how was that process uh, we put out a casting call so we shot that within the week. And I think very early on, like from the first draft we knew, so I guess like by Friday, Friday night, we knew we were gonna be doing that at some point. Um, but it, <laughs> we didn't know for sure if we could do it and use it until it was go time. We shot it on the Tuesday. And I don't know why I remember the days of the week for this project specifically, I never know what day it is. Um, but yeah, we shot it on the Tuesday. So we spent the weekend while we were doing, we shot all the live action stuff on the Saturday. And, and then we shot the Zoom stuff on the, on the Tuesday. And like every day while we were doing other things, we were planning up to that on the Tuesday. And yeah, we did a call on social media. I'm a part of a few really great uh, female and you know, like female centric uh, film groups on Facebook. And then I have a pretty big family. <laughs> so my aunt was, um, was one of the women talking about how she, she's in her seventies now, but that decades ago, it was really hard. She was the one who said she had 13, uh, procedures in 13 years. And so she's in England. And so we, we were able to get people from all over, uh, Toronto as well. And, and a lot from Vancouver where I'm at right now. And yeah, like we just, we put out the call and it was, it was like easy, but not like we had a lot of people. Yeah. For the people who I think who saw endometriosis in a, in a realm that wasn't their own personal conversation, I think that was in a, in a way exciting to them because we're not used to that, you know? And so for those people, I think they're like, yes, I want to be a part of this. Um, and it, it sucks. I wish we could have shown more, but we had like almost a two hour long conversation and we were only able to, you know, I think about a minute and like 45 seconds or something, maybe even like a minute and a half. Um, so yeah, but it was, it, it was something that 
that I know I really wanted to do. I wanted to. I was, I was just going to say credit goes to Camille. This was Camille's idea. To <laughs> and she first, I was like, I can't, you know, I can't picture it. So I'm not the most, I mean, this, I probably shouldn't reveal this, but I'm not the most visual person. So when she said, I was like, I can't picture it, but I trust you. So go for it. <laughs> I, I just can't. I feel like when I'm, whenever I'm doing it, since I was a kid, I couldn't do something without one of the goals being like total global domination. Like <laughs> That's always been a part of, you know, everything that I want to do. And so I was like, oh, how do we get people from everywhere? Like, how do we spread this? How do we cast an even wider net? And so, um, and that that's an intention with this film and future projects as well for us is, you know, this global net so that we can, show that it's happening to people ev literally everywhere and it's it's not just about like it's it's really hard sometimes being in, in certain circles when people are like oh yeah you know what you should try the like you should go keto that just like fixes everything <laughs> yeah thanks um, and so it, it's important to see that like it does happen everywhere and like they found um, they found the same tissue in fetuses. So it's like, this isn't just something that we're putting on ourselves necessarily. Like, I won't ignore the fact, I mean, I'm not a scientist yet, <laughs> but I won't ignore the fact that environmental uh, conditions can affect health, you know, at different times. But it's like, we don't have any answers, but we know that 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 they have scientists found endometriosis in in babies. <laughs> I was looking at, I saw this recent research, they basically found that there was actually genetic overlap between um, genes that express endometriosis, depression, and gastrointestinal um, dysfunction, or like the diseases, conditions of the um, gastrointestinal function. Um, so, so basically saying if, if someone has, you know, endometriosis, they're also significantly more likely to have depression or a GI condition, like something like IBS or uh, like Crohn's or other disease. And I was like, you know that, I think, and I thought to myself, you know what, I think the patients could have told you that. I mean, like, obviously it's great. <laughs> My first thought was, you know, like it's, I think like the patients won't be so surprised. Like it's, they are cognitively very um, comorbid, so. Just like like old Werner said, um, our old buddy in the quote in the film, patients are the most underutilized resource. I love that quote. Um, but can you talk a little bit about him, Epac? I think he's really cool. I don't know as much about him as you do. Um, Dr. Werner, yes, yeah, so actually, I, I don't know, but he was he was a uh, physician. But what, what what why he was so um, well known is apparently it's also like one of the most famous quotes in in the medical community. Like everybody used mm -hmm. it. But, you know, I didn't hear about it until um, one of my um, advisors um, told me, or my former advisor, I guess. So he was a physician, but he was a champion of. Uh, first of all, he really um, he did a lot of work with improving how we use the electronic health record system, et cetera, really documenting everything. But he was a big champion of patient empowerment um, and including patient in the clinical decision-making, um, in you know, diagnosis, in, in the patient, um, physician's room in the office, really including them in, in the conversation. And this was, you know, it was decades ago, but, but if you look at it really, um, 
not much of his thoughts and ideas were integrated. Um, you know, like if you ask patients now how much they feel involved in any of the clinical decision-making process, an overwhelming majority will say, well, not much, you know, like that we still have issues or patients still report not really being listened to by their physicians, not just in endometriosis, but in general. So he really was a revolutionary or, you know, years, decades ahead of his time. Um, and that, that was the con context in which he said it. Like, you know, we don't utilize this really valuable resource of data. You know, we, we try to, we try to guess, you know, we try to diagnose, we have all these symptoms, like how maybe, but we could, or we could just ask the patient, you know, like we can <laughs> um, that, that was kind of the idea that it was going for. And we, I, we thought it was it fit perfectly to what we were um, also, you know, suggesting in the film. And I think you're absolutely right, Epac, about there being like a new age of medical care and, and, and physicians approaches. Uh, because my my doctor, Dr. Vogler, who's in the film, she's one of those people. Like she so includes me in everything and, and like genuinely asks and genuinely wants to know and genuinely uses that information to come to a solution. Like there's like I don't think I've ever seen any ego involved in conversations with Dr. Vogler. And so I love her. She's great. Um, and you know, she is of that 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 different mindset, the one that I think we really need. Right before I found her, <laughs> I often say she's my like, my $100,000 doctor because I, I met her because she came to a screening of a film series that I had made. And she came up and was like, you know, I just want to let you know, because the first film was about a woman who um, ends up in the ER after having had an abortion. And she came up to me and was like, you know, I just want to let you know, like it, it, it really breaks my heart that there are doctors who, who treat patients like that. And I was like, oh, why? Like, what do you do? And she's like, oh, I'm, I'm a, a doctor. I'm a general practitioner. I was like, take me. Because <laughs> it's so hard to find doctors um, always. But in, you know, in, in um, universal healthcare systems, it can be really hard. And I changed, I just moved uh, to Vancouver. It's particularly hard in Vancouver. And I was like, please take me. And she's like, oh, I'm so She's like, I'm so overwhelmed. I have so many patients. I was like, please take me. And then she's like, okay, fine. Call my office. I'll, I'll book you in. And so I always call her my $100,000 doctor because um, that's how, how much money I had to spend to make movies and to finally find a doctor. Uh, but yeah, like she's, she's um, been really great. And it was really important for us to, to get her voice for the film because she uses that similar approach and and I think that's like a really good positive way to, to look at it, to know that there are uh, professionals, lots of professionals in the medical field like that. We just, sometimes it takes a long time to find them. And with this film, am I right to say that you filmed it in, during coronavirus? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay, explain yeah. the Zoom interviews. How was that filming a film in this global pandemic? Well, Thank God Vancouver has good practices because New York was, was not fit for shooting. <laughs> no, yeah, it's true. Like we had already, um, yeah, we'd already been up and running in Vancouver for what, October. So we, we were up and running in like the summer, I think July, August. Um, and so by that point we had already had all these practices uh, and, you know, like we had a full COVID plan and a, a COVID officer who basically walked around wiping things and telling people, put your mask back on. It goes over the nose, like, you know, that kind of um, role. And so, yeah, shooting the, during the pandemic, it's definitely stressful in a different kind of way. 
And then, you know, you, okay, this is the thing about it though, in any industry, you would think, you know, something can, when something's new, it can be more stressful, more difficult. And then you get into it, your muscle memory kicks in and then you just go on about it. But it doesn't work like that during a global pandemic, because as soon as you allow like yourself to just, you know, do it without thinking, you're not doing it right. <laughs> so you always have to be thinking about it, which is adds that extra level of stress. Um, but yeah, I don't know. We made it happen somehow. I lived, I, I've moved now, but at the time, a couple months ago, I lived in a condo that had like a really big open space that I shared with just a few neighbors. And so they're, they were used to like my film shoots because <laughs> we would like put up tents on the giant patio so we could like, you know, house people outside and, and um, not have them like squish into a tiny apartment. So that really helped as well. But poor EPAC, you didn't like, I know you're probably just so like, oh, I want to be there. I want to see what's happening. I was trying to connect with you throughout the day, but. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 one of these days, Camille, we'll. we'll yeah. yeah. So unfortunately I wasn't on the set, but I, I contributed with my beautiful voice, my wonderful. <laughs> From your closet. From my closet. Um, <laughs> oh my God, that's so funny. Yeah, I mean, we couldn't, I look, I remember looking up um, for sound studios, recording studios to do the recording. And then I found a few, but they were all just, you know, we can't, um, you need to do it on your own. So like they didn't have like a, usually they have like a helping assistant who kind of sits, if you don't know, and if you request someone, they sit with you and help. And I was like, I don't like, I'm not even going to try because I wouldn't be able to do it on my own. Thankfully, um, we were able to convert my closet into a recording studio. So that was, that was great. And it's still left in the same setup in case. <laughs> Just in case. Yeah, because you're traumatized from the process. And I'd be like, okay, can you just hop back in there and like redo it like this? <laughs> for, for subsequent versions, my, my studio is ready for yeah. Technology is amazing, man. Because you shot that on your iPhone. And uh, granted, we had an amazing sound person named Sharon Zeng. And um, yeah, like that definitely helped a lot for <laughs> um, her to be able to work her magic. But yeah, it's pretty cool that you can record stuff and sure it's not like the ideal quality but then you do things to fix it up and it sounds great and there you go and I moving think on we have movie. a good sense of humor through all of this is um is essential you know like things will go mm -hmm. wrong you, you plan you do your best to plan for it but if if things don't work out you just you know what okay let's this is a challenge let's find a creative solution to it um i think i think that's really the key ingredient to making a project like this in pandemic or under any similar circumstances it's so true yeah you have to keep like your priorities around you know why it is you make film and what it is that you love about it at the forefront so that <laughs> when those thoughts creep in like Oh yeah, there's a global pandemic going on. You're like, no, no, it's okay, I got it. I love making movies, I can do this. <laughs> so yeah, but the, it was interesting for sure. And then from making this film, what would you say is the most valuable lesson you've learned from working together? Ah, these existential like, questions. Why <laughs> just one? Just, you just want <laughs> Give me all of them, I divide them. <laughs> well I think it's really important that that was the you know um the essence of the the festival and symbiosis too is that there is not a there is a very natural very organic 
um, a necessary conversation that occurs between um, science and an art of filmmaking. And this, I think this is an underutilized communication that we need more of in, in general. Um, I think that a lot of the, a lot of the approaches, a lot of the methods, you know, storytelling, we, we say, use the word storytelling, but really in, in science with data, you are also telling a story of some kind. Um, so, so there's, um, and there's a lot of overlap in, in that sense. So I think um, this was, it really was a good demonstration of, of that as, as a starter. Yeah, particularly because this was a science related experience, it really opened my eyes, similar to what you said, Epac, just about how much, how strong of a marriage there is between science and art. And, you know, we separate it so much and we're so obsessed, especially I think in, in the Western world about like, we're so obsessed with compartmentalizing and being like, oh no, this is over here and this is over here. But we've talked about it before. And I was like, you know, like you said, disseminating that information in an, in, in, in an entertaining way is an art. And being able to pinpoint like, guide an audience to cry down to the second is a science. And so really the two are the same in many ways. And, and I don't know why we, we don't just automatically assume that because I mean, like we couldn't, we wouldn't have the light bulb if it weren't for, you know, creative or scientific thinking. And we, we wouldn't have anything that we have today pretty much. So I, I really hope that, um, I really hope that that there are more opportunities and that I can be involved in more opportunities to to you know keep doing that and to keep inviting the world to think in that way because I, I think the most exciting thing for me that I experience is innovation like I love experiencing and watching innovation unfold and it's it's so exciting and being invited into the scientific environment and community has been really great for me and very exciting and it's made me think like oh maybe this is something that I really want to do you know for a long time so I think that was a that was a valuable lesson to help me you know understand what it is that I want to do more specifically. This is, um, just another I guess opportunity to emphasize we I think as the science community we need to do a much better job of disseminating our findings I mean we I've been publishing my research for years, but it, it's behind a paywall. You know, nobody has access to it. Nobody knows that it even exists. You know, they're they're published somewhere out there. And even if they were to go go past the paywall and and read, it's not written in an accessible language, so nobody would understand. Um, so it's and a lot of the research that we do is funded by tax, taxpayers' money. And you know, so it should be the science that we do should be for the people, um, for for the public, for everyone to be able to read, understand, and benefit from. So I think we're really doing a big disservice by um, this almost snobby approach to you know, it's research. It should be you know, be written in this language. I mean, there's a, obviously there are practical reasons for the language that we use because every word has a very specific meaning. But you know, publishing in oh, it needs to be in this you know fancy big name journal, which, which has a paywall. I, mean, I think that there needs to be an added step during the dissemination. That okay, how can I put this in in a context that is understandable and accessible to everyone, and one that people actually want to read? Um, so, which is where the entertaining or or or, or in a context that's um, 
we dwell into people's daily lives so that they can make sense of it and relate to it in some way. Mm -hmm. I liked what you said once you talked about like this research, the science is for the people. Like, why are we not, why are we not putting it out there in a way for the people to understand and use? And it's, it's so strange. I often call EPAC trilingual because she also speaks science talk and it's like a different language, <laughs> but it's great. Like it's, it's highly respectable. I mean, that takes a long time to be able to, you know, speak so fluently in in, um, in science talk. <laughs> and lastly, I want to know what's your plan for the future? Total global domination. <laughs> um, so I'll just add right as like a leading step to it. One of our uh, main goals with this film is for it to serve as a conversation starter. Um, so not just for the patients to find something in it that they can relate to, but also um, we want this film to be seen by everyone, you know, not just the, the patient and their partners or their friends and family to better understand, but, you know, medical community, just everyone around the world, um, just to get the word out there. But also a conversation started with respect to what everyone can do to make the situation better, because this is not a problem. We're not trying to point fingers to any specific, um, you know, group of segments of, of individuals. It's really, we, there's, we can all do something. Um, so I think that, that that's one of our goals. And I think once, and to that effect, we're, we're working towards that goal, you know, um, getting everyone um, to see it and have different conversations beginning at different places, different contexts. And we're hoping um, that our future directions will be informed by the, the fruitation, the fruits of this or the results of these conversations that we start, the, the platforms that we build to bring people together and create community. So creating community um, is, is, I guess, one of, and so we'll see what, how that results and it'll hopefully um, inspire future projects. Um, we're, we're definitely hoping you know, this is short, as, as Camille said, there's only so much you can do in a short film. Um, so we're, we're using this as, as setting the stage. You know, this is just the beginning and we have you know, more content, more ideas that we want to um, realize in other projects. Yeah, and like in the immediate future, we're seeking development funding for more content. So any wealthy philanthropists out there wanna help us out a little? Um, yeah, I mean, EPAC, EPAC now has a new um, film production company with a specific theme of science and entertainment, and it's called This is a Science Film Productions. <laughs> and so, you know, we hope we might end up collaborating, hopefully, on more science-related content uh, that, you know, in an entertaining way. And I'm going to keep making keep making movies, keep acting, keep doing my thing and hoping that one day the world realizes I exist. <laughs> you know, the plight of an independent filmmaker and actor. <laughs> um, but yeah, we hope for, you know, a lot more collaboration. I think this kind of, I think one of the best compliments we got from, I think it was Nicola, I think it was our publicist who said that it was, what she liked about it, it was like current and like cool and I think all three of us were thinking the word hip but nobody said it out loud because it would very much make us like very old <laughs> um but yeah like that sort of content and entertainment that 
is fun and and entertaining and and smart without just being you know like epac says in the credits like a bunch of women just complaining about their problems since you know we do that all the time that's, that's our thing apparently um yeah so let's keep doing the thing Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Making It Women of Home. You can find our and our guest socials in the description box. If you'd like to get more content like this until next week's episode, you can follow us on Instagram at Making It Women of Home and check out our website, womenofhome.co.uk, for interactive discussions, essays, reviews, and more. See you next week. Bye.